Good morning. Where, can we have some lights? That would be lovely. How are you all? You guys are well? I know we're struggling for space. There's an overflow room in the back. And uh, anyone, you guys can come sit on the stage if you want. That's fine. I may fall on you, but that's okay. Isn't it wonderful to worship the Lord? You know, the word says to worship the Lord in the beauty of his holiness. And I find true worship in spirit and in truth always leaves God's people with an awareness of how separate and beautiful and in a sense apart from us he is. Not far, but we are not like him. (laughs) And yet we are being changed into the image of God and into the glory of the, and I understand that. But he is perfect and holy and wonderful and there's such an awe and reverence that actually comes from worship. And it's a wonderful thing. It's a wonderful thing. God is good. Amen. All right, I have just a quick few announcements. Um, always just want to say hello to visitors as well, if you're visiting with us. It's wonderful to have you. And uh, it's also wonderful to have the rest of you. But it's extra special, to have, wonderful to have the visitors. Um, my uh, mother and father, they're traveling at the moment. They're away the next two weeks doing ministry in other churches. And... Um, they, run, they planted this church, led it for 12 years, and they run a ministry called Restoring the Wells, and uh, they just have a unique gift. My dad really has a, an amazing gift from the Lord in, in regards to bringing deliverance and freedom. It's just always been a part of uh, our family and who he was, and I grew up like that. So I, they are actually going to be hosting a conference here. Restoring the Wells is going to be doing it, but we're just going to be hosting it. And they, it's an open invitation. Uh, I think some other people from other churches may be coming as well. And that's going to be October 22nd and 23rd. That's Friday and Saturday. So my dad will speak about it a little bit when he gets back. It's going to be called um, Free at Last. And it's going to be a little bit about spiritual warfare, deliverance, but not just that. Just how to walk in freedom. And uh, so I would encourage you to come. And uh, that all, there'll be email, there'll be details on the website soon. And if you can go to Restoring the Wells, it'll be up there on their site. Uh, but they'll speak about that in the coming weeks. Just wanted to give you the dates, October 22nd, 23rd. Also, I want to encourage you to vote. Hello. Yes. I want to encourage you to vote. The, the governor's race is on. We have a table at the back. Where's, I don't know, I can't see all the way back there. There's a table back there, I just can't see because of the lights. And um, I just want to encourage you to vote in person. Early voting is open, and uh, it's more than just the governor's race. There's the governor, lieutenant governor, attorney general, and obviously the House of Delegates for the state, for Virginia. There's all sorts of information back there. I don't think it is anybody's right to tell you how and who and what to vote for, but information is helpful. And so we've just got some information back there. There's a lady back there by the name of Heather. Uh, she is wonderful and helps us in great detail with all of this. And uh, she's been, we've been working with her. So I encourage you, if you have questions, if you want to go back there, please feel free to go. You can actually vote across the road. Early voting is open. And I think, I think in the last, probably in the last year, more than ever, maybe almost two years now, a greater awareness of the importance of this vote has become made very aware to the United States. Who's the governor, you know, House of Delegates, Lieutenant Governor. They play a very influential role. And I think we've all been made very aware of that. So I really want to encourage you to vote. 
I will be voting for the first time as a citizen. Awesome. So we have information back there. Can I give this to you, Josh? And um, I encourage you to do so. You can vote in any district. If, if you, you don't have to go to your district poll if you do early voting. But on November 2nd, on the day, you have to go to your district. But now you can go there, and they'll have all the districts available, and you can vote early there, even if you don't live in this district. So I encourage you to do that, and I encourage you to vote in person. Amen? All right. All right. Uh, Josh, can you come pray for me? That'll be great. Come pray for not just for me, but for the people, for the Word. And uh, I wonder if we could do something real quick, actually. It's just such an honor and reverence for the Word. I often, when I read of these great men of God, men and women of God, it was said of Charles Wesley that he often used to, towards the end of his life, mostly read the knees, uh, mostly read the knees, read the Bible on his knees because of his honor and reverence for the Word. So I wonder if we could just do an act. I wonder if we could, if you have a Bible, if you could take it up. And it's, it's not obviously the book, it's the living words in the book. But I wonder if we could stand and just ask the Lord, you know, to stand out of honor. And it's His Word, it's not, it's not, you know, us, we're just vehicles. But I wonder if we could ask the Lord to bring revelation to us this morning. And to change our hearts this morning. Because His Word never passes away. Amen? And Josh is going to pray for us, so thanks, Josh. Oh, Heavenly Father, we thank you for this word. And we thank you for this man. We thank you for opening our hearts and our minds to what you have for us this morning, Lord. We thank you for revelation. And we just declare revelation will come now, even in this moment. And I just let this just drip into our hearts as Clay brings the word this morning. And I just bless this man after your own heart. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right, thank you. Thank you, everyone. So, turn with me if you can. If you've got a Bible... I'm going to ask you to actually turn there and actually follow. Uh, really, it helps to see it in your own Bible. Please turn to the book of Joshua. Um, I'm so sorry. I need a tissue over there. I'm so sorry. I have gum in my mouth, and I don't want to bless any of you in the front row with it. <laughs> so I'll just take it out. Now, we're in a series called Possessing the Land. It's been the most broken up series I've done in a long time. And uh, so I apologize about that. It was wonderful to have Greg with us last week. He's just a wonderful uh, apostolic man. And uh, he says hi. He just loved being with us, by the way. He phoned me on Tuesday and he said it was just such a wonderful time to come. And he just felt honored and it was good for us to have him. But uh, we've been in a series on possessing the land. And what we're doing is we've been looking at two generations. The first generation of Israelites that went out from Egypt as a picture of salvation, which I've actually in a sense, repeated the same message twice. <laughs> the last time I preached kind of the same message I preached the first time. But this first generation came out. They sent the 10 spies in. We've read a lot of that. The 10 spies came back with a bad report. And as I've said, and I'll say it again, they actually came back with a factual report. They came and reported exactly what Moses had asked them, but they couldn't see with the eyes of the Spirit. And so they bring, the Bible calls it an evil report, and uh, then Joshua and Caleb obviously come back, and they see and have fed themselves not so much with what they've seen, but with what God said. And they come back and said, this is a delightful land. The Lord delights in us. He will do it. He will take us in. And we know what is said to the congregation. says, stone them with stones. And, you know, it's interesting in the body of Christ, every once in a while you will see these men and women of God stand up with its seemingly unreasonable faith and hope, and in a... In a environment that is not accustomed to that, it, they want to silence it. 
And so that happens with this first generation. Then they go on a journey. Obviously, then they 40 years in the desert. But then you come to Numbers 22, and they land at a place called Shittim. It's also called the Acacia Grove, and it's on the side of the Jordan opposite Jericho. And then they land there, and then a whole bunch of stuff happens in this place. But that is, in a sense, the staging area. And, they, and some interesting things happen there. That's a staging area before they cross. They can see Jericho. There's a river, uh, the River Jordan. And it's in the time of, the, the River Jordan is in the time of floods. So it's wider and faster and stronger. It's more impossible to cross. But they stand there. And in Numbers 22, this is when many of you will know the story, the king of Moab named Balak hires, uh, in a sense, hires a pagan prophet by the name of Balaam, and he doesn't look so bad in the Old Testament, but when the New Testament speaks of him, it's, it speaks of him as, in a sense, a very evil guy. And so he was a pagan prophet, and he probably did all sorts of seances, and he, he wasn't, <laughs> anyway. So he, they hire him and, uh, to curse God's people, and in a sense, that doesn't work. And so then you come to Numbers 25, they're still there in the Encacia Grove, and the woman of Moab, the woman, the woman of Moab come and they seduce the men of Israel. And it's, it's, it's a fascinating story because this is now the second generation of God's people. They watched an entire generation who couldn't believe to enter into the promises of God, to actually take the ground that God has said, this is for you. They couldn't believe to go in. They couldn't believe to take it. They've watched... We worked out, Greg and I, when he was here, we talked about it, and I can't remember the figure, how many thousands of funerals they would have had per day as how many million of people died in 40 years. It's just an extreme thing, just a practical, and they lived this year after year, knowing because we couldn't, we couldn't go in. And so now they come to this place. This is now the second generation, faith in their hearts. Finally, we're going to go in. It's exciting. And in a sense, they come and clash into the culture that they were called to change. They come against the culture of the world for the first time. They've been in the desert. It's them and the Lord and the fire and the pillar and the manor and the quail, provision, protection. And as I said last week, and I don't mean to be offensive or, or just for shock factor, but it was stunning to me to realize when the Lord says they will all die in the desert, it was partly grace. Because in a sense, he's saying, you will have my presence, you will have my provision, you will have my protection, I will never leave you, you will have me with you, I will speak to you, their shoes never wore out, their clothes never wore out. It's likened unto people that just go to church all their life, and they can sense the presence of the Lord, but there's no actually taking spiritual ground. And so the second generation... They now come to Numbers 25, they seduced, and actually, the king of these, the, the, it was, um, I forget his name, I, I don't have it here. The Midianite, this Midianite, it was the chief's daughter, the Midianite chief. He sends his daughter, her name is Cosby, to this man called Zimri. And you know what Cosby means? My lie. And so this man who's the chief of Midian, in a sense, would represent a spiritual stronghold, sends a lie to this man Zimri, who was a prince, one of the prince of the Simenites. And his name means praise. And they form some sexual acts right there in the entrance of the tabernacle. And Phineas, Aaron's son, kind of kills them. And, and that, that was that. So 
But it's interesting because just before they're about to go into a promise, just before, you know, there's something of a victory that God's going to bring his people, or he wants to take them in, or he wants to show them something, wants to bring them revelation, the system of the world sends a lie to steal false affection, sexual, to steal false affection from the heart of God's people. It offers worldly affection in, in the place of, it was right there in the tabernacle, in the place of my presence. And, and it's constantly like that. Often just before breakthrough, there's something that comes and it's, a, it's something to snatch our affection, to distract us. And it seems wonderful or it, it's something from the system of the world that comes to en enwrap our hearts. But the presence of the Lord begins to wane. And this is all happening in the staging area called the Acacia Grove in a place called Shatim just before they go over the Jordan. Moses dies there. First, he wipes out the Midianites for doing that. That was his last thing that he did. God said, wipe these guys out for what they did to your people here. And he does that, and then he dies. They mourn for 30 days. And then Joshua chapter 1 starts. So now we have the second generation. Joshua would have been 80. He was around 40 when they went into the promised land. When, sorry, when he spied out the, now he's about 80, which means the next person, except for Caleb, the next person is 59. Because the Lord said, anyone, everyone under the age of 20, everyone over the age of 20, 20 and older will die in the desert. So there's Joshua and Caleb, the next one is 59 years old. And this whole second generation are wanting to go into the promised land and take hold of what God has said, I've given it to you. The first thing they face is, in a sense, the culture and the system of the world, and they kind of make a mess of it. But yet they still went in. Isn't it interesting? The first generation didn't enter why. Hebrews 3 tells us, unbelief in the heart. See, it's not mistakes don't rob us from promises. It's unbelief. Hello. So, we're going to go read Joshua chapter 1. And I encourage those of you who are here and I'll say, I'm facing, I feel like I'm facing some of this. I'm facing an impossible barrier, the Jordan. I'm facing a giant. That's something of a demonic issue or spiritual force or stronghold or spiritual forces of wickedness because we don't fight flesh and blood. And it just feels like you're coming out against it. I often go to this text. I took over from my dad, a Moses type figure, a Moses type leader. I lived in this text for a little while because I know how Joshua felt. And so let's go to Joshua chapter one and we're just gonna read the second generation and we see some of the differences between the two generations and we take some lessons. After the death of Moses, Joshua one verse one, the servant of the Lord, it came to pass that the Lord spoke to Joshua the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, saying, Moses my servant is dead, now therefore arise, go over this Jordan, you and all this people, to the land which I am giving to them, the children of Israel. Every place that the sole of your foot shall tread, I have given you, as I said to Moses. You know, one of the main focuses of genuine leadership is actually not who was leading and who did it go to, that the world thinks like that, this person and then this person and they're important. No, no, no. The main focus of leadership is a continuation of what God has said about his people. 
He said, I've said, it's the same promises. I said this to Moses. You're going to take them in. I have land for my people Israel. It's a continuation of what God's purposes is for his people. It's not about them. Yeah? And he says this. As I said to Moses, and then verse 4, from the wilderness and this Lebanon, as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, and all the land of the Hittites, and the great sea toward the going down of the sun shall be your territory. No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so shall I be with you. I will not leave you nor forsake you. Be strong and of good courage. In other words, it's not crazy wildness, good courage. Wild, not just do whatever we want. No, good courage, wise courage. Be strong and of good courage. For to this people you shall divide an inheritance, the land which I swore to their fathers to give them. Only be strong and very courageous, that you may observe to do according to all the law which Moses my servant commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left, that you may prosper wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate in it day and night, that you may observe to do all according to that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. Have I not commanded you, be strong and of good courage. Do not be afraid, nor be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. So, we're gonna, I'm just going to comment as we go through this, as we look at this text, and almost line by line, and we're just going to just look at some truth and look at some comments. I believe that the disciples would have read this. That's my personal belief. Because they looked, Moses was the mediator in the Old Testament. The Bible says that. When Jesus comes along, the actual Messiah, the chief shepherd, comes along, sheds his blood, destroys sin and death and hell in the grave, and he opens a way for us all to have fellowship, and now, now there is no earthly mediator. It's good news. So, but the disciples grew up, this was the scripture they have. They didn't have the New Testament. And they're taking over from Jesus, in a sense. And I believe as young men, they were young men, they probably went and say, how did Joshua feel when he took over from Moses? Because we're taking over, you know, Jesus, I have to leave, but I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit. And it's very interesting to me because I lived in a, how do I say this quickly? I lived in a home, I grew up in a home. When my dad and mom got saved in the 80s, we, we saw such a powerful move of God. You know, it really, and they probably wouldn't want me making talking about them, they're very humble, but I mean truly, some of the most amazing things I've seen, in the, and we just grew up with that. But what I've learned over the years, God has gifted him to set free. Demons run from him, it's wonderful. And he's just an authority he has in that area, and those of you who know him know what I'm talking about. And yes, you know, we've ministered like that as well, and it's just part of who we are in this church, this mark for freedom. But if I could just say for a moment, I grew up in a house watching thousands of people over the years be set free, and some stay free. Many got free again and again and again and come back. It's because I found when under Moses here, he did everything. If there's a problem, go to Moses. 
Moses will listen, Moses will tell. Moses will do this, Moses will do that. If it's a problem, Moses will intercede. Moses, in a sense, does everything. And the, the generation of people that are actually going to go in and take hold of the promises of God is not Moses is going to do it for you. There needs to come a shift in our thinking as God has an inheritance for his people and to move from a set-me-free mindset, we need freedom, but only set me free to actually take me in. Big difference. Joshua took them in. Instead of just set me free, set me free again, set me free again, set me free again. I remember when he led the youth, we were doing some deliverance, casting out some demons, and I heard the young man literally tell his friend around the corner, yeah, if that comes back, we'll just come see Clay. And I'm like, oh, Lord, help them. I'm like, yeah, we'll help you, but there's so much more just to set me free to actually let's go in and take hold of what God has for us. So, um, the mandate of God. It says, let's read again. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, it came to pass that the Lord spoke to Joshua, the, the son of Nun, Moses' Moses' assistant, saying, Moses, my servant, is dead. Firstly, I love how the Lord overlooks the fact that Joshua's mentor all his life has died. He doesn't come to Joshua and say, hey, how, how are you feeling? I know, like, you know, Moses, there'll never be one like him again. Joshua knew that. Never on the face of the earth will be another one like Moses. So you're going to lead them. <laughs> oh, that's great. And, uh, and, you know, this man that taught you everything, well, he died. It's not, uh, how are you feeling, Joshua? Are you, mm. It's, arise, get up. You've mourned for him 30 days. Maybe Joshua was still mourning for him. I don't know, but he, God says, arise, stand up. We've got to go. Because he is committed to his purposes for his people. And then he gives Joshua some impossible things to do. Go over the Jordan, take everyone with you, and take down the giants. The three things that Moses could not do. It's the first thing he tells him to do. He says, go do all the things that Moses couldn't do. Are you, are you seeing how he probably felt? But I believe Joshua knew something, and he carried, he carried something. He had been carrying something for 40 years. He was one of the ones who actually stood in the promised land. And he came back, and for 40 years, he's been carrying something called belief. <laughs> he believed for victory 40 years ago. And he's been carrying this belief for 40 years, waiting, thinking about it. I believe, I believe, I know we will, I know we will, I know we will. 40 years. Go back to Numbers 14 real quick. A little scripture I want to just share with you. Let's look what happened. Numbers 14, verse 6. This is when the bad report is given. And it's, in a sense, not going well. So Joshua stands up. Now think about it. We just read it here. But Joshua and Caleb literally, in a sense, stood up and prophesied. They declared the word of the Lord over a nation. They weren't listened to, but they stood up and declared truth to a nation, to millions of people. And it says here, but Joshua, verse 6, 14, 6, Joshua, the son of Nun, and Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, 
who were among those who had spied out the land, tore their clothes, and they spoke to all the congregation of the children of Israel, saying, The land we pass through to spy out is an exceedingly good land. If the Lord delights in us, it's a big key. How you think the Lord sees you. It's a big deal. If the Lord delights in us, then he will bring us into this land and give it to us, a land which flows with milk and honey. Only, has this, only do not rebel against the Lord. Let me put it in our words. What is he saying there? For 40 years, he's carried this heart. To not go into the promises of God is actually rebelling against the Lord. The Lord made a payment. He opened the way. Joshua's saying, we must go in. It's not so much about us and our blessing and our wonder. It's for the glory and the wonder and the splendor of God. We can't rebel against him and not take those giants down. Hello? So he says, do not rebel against the Lord. And nor fear the people of the land. He makes this statement, and this has so moved me for a few years. For they are our bread. It's a strange thing to say. They are our bread. I believe there are many believers. I don't believe. I know this. But there are many believers who have the sense of longing. There's got to be more. Who knows what I'm saying? There's got to, there's something, there's a, there's a desire, there's something. And Joshua is standing here looking at some difficult situations, some giants across the river. And, and he's saying, our bread, sustenance, spirit, the spiritual sustenance you crave is actually over there. There is certain spiritual satisfaction, can I say, and, and fulfillment in the Lord that is only comes in victory. And when you take down a giant. Psalm 23, he laid a table before me, where? In the presence of my enemies. I, it, it's a stunning truth. We're eating manna. We're longing for the bread, for this full, this full, there's more God. And Joshua said, when you take that down, they're our bread. It's over there. <laughs> there are parts of our Christian walk where what we are longing for is only found in victory. <laughs> and Joshua picked this up and he carried this belief in this heart for 40 years. A table is also a place of fellowship. See, when you... When the storm is raging around your life, I want to encourage you, ask the Lord for revelation on this, even right now. When the storm is raging, there is a table set there in the midst of it. Focus on the one who's at the table with you. Because you have to, we have to feed ourselves on what God has said, not on the storm. And I know that sounds spiritually, it's true. Look at the one whose eyes are looking at you. You're sitting in the midst of giants. And it's all the stuff, and you can focus on that and do warfare and all that. Be sitting. The Lord says, I've set a table for you. There's bread there that's not here. He says, do not fear. They are our bread. There's a spiritual sustenance there that is only there. Someone shared about this, and this is what they said. God has given everyone us an appetite to be strong. But we want strength for the battle. We want to feel strong 
in order to begin. God is saying, I'll give you strength in the battle. Step out in faith and start. Don't be afraid, nor be afraid of the people of the land, for they are our bread. And then he says, and their protection has left them. (laughs) You can go back to Joshua. Joshua carried that truth in his heart for 40 years. He knew there's something there that's not here. And so for 40 years, he's walking around going, they're our bread. The Lord wants to feed us with victory. When I see that giant coming, I'm like, yummy, that's lunch. <laughs> there's something there to take that down, not in our strength, and not, but there's something there. God has something for us there. Whatever that promise, whatever that is for you. Taking new ground in spiritual matters. Move forward. (laughs) That's what God's saying. Move forward. The man of God has passed, but the Lord is more focused on where God's people are going. Then he says says to Joshua, go over the Jordan. That's a practical, impassable barrier. It was in flood. You and all those people to the land which I'm giving them. And I see there are times in life where we have a practical, impassable issue. It's not a demonic issue. It's a business deal. It's, a, it's money we need for this house. Or it's just practically, it's a barrier that we just cannot cross. We need an intervention of the Lord. They're facing that. They're facing spiritual strongholds and forces, which to them was people, but to us we don't fight flesh and blood. Things that seem so big and so strong. Some of the stuff that may be going on around you and us right now, it just seems like, what are we going to do? They face that. And the mandate that God sets before Joshua is impossible. (laughs) Can I say it always is? Look at the Great Commission. Preach the gospel, raise the dead, heal the sick, cast out demons, cleanse the lepers. That's in the Great Commission. Of ourselves, we can't do one of those things. Not one. (laughs) Not a single one. So God gives Joshua this mandate. says, go and do the things. Envision and unify the most stiff-necked people ever. They even say to Joshua, "As as as we listened to Moses, as we heeded Moses, we'll heed you. I'm like, don't heed me that way. All you did was complain. You know, envision them as stiff neck, take them with you. It's, Moses is not going to go do it like they were used to, the first generation. Do everything, come back. No, they have to do it. So take them with you. It's such a different way of thinking. God's people in the New Testament equip the saints for the work of the ministry. And so in that journey, there's an impossibility. There's always an impossibility with God, for he will get the glory. But we also receive, how do I say, instructions along the way. They went on a journey with the Lord. They received instructions along the way. How to, in a sense, the kingdom values, how to live and how to be and how to, how to have just a lifestyle with the Lord. And you know, we have those, in a sense, instructions on the journey. Stewardship and serve one another, love one another and look after your finances and, and, and you know, how to care and carry one another's burdens. And what happens, and I found often with good hearts, the instructions along the way become the goal. They're good things. They're valuable things. They're kingdom values. They wonder, but they become the goal 
because they're doable. And subtly the supernatural gets set aside and the forward movement into the new life of the spirit stops and we become very good at the instructions along the way. But the mandate never actually takes place. Because it, it's like, well, it, we can't do that. The Lord's like, I know, but that's, that's what I told, I told you to do that. God always enables. He always enables what he mandates. What he commissions, he will enable you. But often we want to we wanna 